Blog Talk Radio. This is all about wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Share your question or comments using the live chat feature on our website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Again, that's www.allaboutwinebtr.com. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Oh, yeah. We are... Hang on, let me close the window. People are, people are way too loud. Let me close yeah, the window. There we go. They are. They get it carried away there. A little wine, and, you know, it's just, oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, I'm back this week. It, you know, I I sat back this week. If you missed me last week, but people don't miss me last week because they listen to us on archives. We were just discussing right. that before the show came on, and and most mm-hmm. of you out there are listening to us on archives, so that's cool. You know, you, you listen yeah. to us whether it's on archives or live. We love it. Thank you for yeah. listening anyway. Absolutely. You know, if you tried to find last week's show, it wasn't there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're good, but uh, we we got a new week and a new month. We are in June now. Wow, we are we're just June rolling now. right through here. Cannot wait for winter. We can have winter anytime. <laughs> uh, yeah, pushing a little bit here. We haven't even officially got till summer. We got twenty first this mm-hmm. month before we get to summer. Yeah. Well, I thought that was in May. It starts in in late. When does it start? Summer no, no. Summer started yet? 21st of this month. 21st of this oh, month. That's the official nice start of summer. Now, that <clears throat> if you look at that closely, there's a little asterisk by that. That mm-hmm. little asterisk right. means except in Florida. Right. I was going to so, say that's every place else except here, but there's other places right, that yeah, are cooking also. Uh, they're they're cooking oh, that's in true. That's true. every every place else. This is ridiculous. But we've been cooking since you know mid February. Yeah, but yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> summer. Yeah. The little asterisk. If you look closely at you know on calendars, you'll you'll see that little asterisk there. Um, yeah. Except on Florida. most people just glance at it and say, "Oh, summer." But you know, we, <laughs> Florida, no. Yes, we've already been there. <laughs> already, already in. Yes, we have. Uh, yeah, a couple of months actually. Wow. Uh, uh, didn't but, realize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at it closely. You'll you'll see. Uh, Okay. It's very small, very small. You probably have to get out. <laughs> Even if you got great eyes, you have to get out the magnifying glass. <laughs> it's there. Okay. So, All that's, right. You know, just, just two weeks away here. Today is the sixth of June. Uh, actually, uh, June sixth, nineteen forty-four. The landing in Normandy and all the other beaches. We always say. Normandy, because that was the big one. That's where most people died. But there was, I think it was six or seven beaches. All were were landed, had troops landed at the same time as Normandy. But 
normally tends to be the one that we all look at and everything, but there's quite a few. But uh, we, we look back on that and thank our troops for, for sacrifices and for all that stuff. That was uh, 75 years ago today that happened. I always remember uh, June 6th. It was my mother's birthday. so. And that was um, so. that's why it's D-Day. For sure, D-Day. right? D-Day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, D-Day. Mm. Uh, June 6, 1945. The beginning yeah. of the end of World War II. So, hey, you know, I used to always tell my dad, I, I, when I was ready to go over to Vietnam, I told him I was going to the big one. He goes, no, no, no. He said, World War II was the big one. I said, no, anyone you fight in is the big one. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. He agreed with me. He said, yeah, I suppose it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, well, so uh, if we do have any any old veterans out there, then thank you. And uh, any young veterans out there, thank you, too. Yeah. So uh, while I'm looking at the calendar here, I might just well go ahead and tell you what is coming up. For the following week, I actually last week uh, Saturday was National Hazelnut Cake Day. And, uh, last Sunday was National Rocky Road Day and National Rotisserie Chicken Day. Uh, last Monday was National Egg Day. Tuesday was National Frozen Yogurt Day. Not a whole lot of good days there to have wine, so just pair it with it. Yesterday was National Ketchup Day. National Ketchup Day. Unbelievable. Today's National Applesauce Cake Day. Tomorrow is National Chocolate Ice Cream Day. And National Donut Day. I say that because a lot of donut places... See, that's what you get for not listening to us live because... You probably will not know that tomorrow is National Donut Day. And if you listen to this Saturday, you go, oh, man, I miss Donut Day. Because a lot of places are giving out free donuts tomorrow. Uh, you can go in uh, Dunkin' Donut, Winchell's Southwest. All these places are giving out a free donut tomorrow for National Donut Day. So uh, if you're listening on archive, you missed it. Sorry. Uh, Saturday, National Jellyfield Donut Day. Now, why would that be different than National Donut Day? I don't have any idea, but that's how they set it up. Uh, Sunday, National Strawberry Rhubarb Pie Day. I like strawberry. I like a rhubarb pie, but strawberry rhubarb is great. Sun, uh, Monday, National Iced Tea Day. Tuesday, National German Chocolate Cake Day. Wednesday, National Peanut Butter Cookie Day. And National Jerky Day. And next Thursday, Cupcake Lovers Day, National Cucumber Day. So, you know, we really don't have a lot you can pair wine with. But, you know, you can be creative. June, uh, the month of June, is National Candy Month, National Dairy Month, Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Month, both together, so then that way people won't have to decide what a tomato is. It's fruit or vegetable, and they put it together there. 
It's also a National Ice Tea Month, National Papaya Month, Mango Month, and National Seafood Month. So those are all coming all this month. So there's our, our future week. I can say not much there to pair wines with, though. Boy, that's, I guess, summertime. They try to keep the fare lighter or something. That's that's what's coming up here. Also coming up Saturday, and I saw this on the calendar, and I don't know, Mike, you might have to look this up for me. It's Shavuot that begins at sundown. I'm sure it's a Jewish holiday, maybe a uh, Muslim holiday, but Shavuot, S-H-A-V-U-O-T. Oh, Saturday... Uh... Oh, I misspelled it. I was way off misspelling it. S H A V U O T. O T. Yep, that's where I got mixed mixed up. Fifteen nights of the night, four seven. Israel's one day holiday. Weeks. It's it's a. The period between Passover and S H A V U O T. Um, Shuba. Shuba? Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Begins I read about this. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, where was it? I saw that. Uh, beginning the sundown of the 5th and uh, lasting until nightfall of the 7th. And. Oh, wow. In Israel, it is a one-day holiday ending at nightfall on the 6th. Uh, there's ways to celebrate it. Um, it's customary to stay up all night learning oh. Torah. And the first night of that word, and uh, God, I wish they'd have a pronunciation of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Shavuot, Shavuot, Shavuot. Google can see if Google can tell me how, how to pronounce it. Uh Shavu, I don't know. Shavu, Shavu, Shavu. Oh, hold on. I gotta play this. What? Just talk too fast. I don't know if you can hear that anyway. Shavu. 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 Yeah, she's talking in the Shavu. background, but I can't. Yeah, I hear it. Shavu. Shavu. The key is sound. Shavu. Okay, stop. Now she won't stop. Um, we heard you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Quiet, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Google. Um, <laughs> Shavuot. Shavuot. The T is Shavuot. 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 And then, okay. you, know, you know, Passover is always <laughs> there, but uh, we, you were familiar with that. But it, hmm. So that comes up Saturday. That begins at sundown on Saturday. <laughs> Saturday is also World Oceans Day, by the way, for all of you to celebrate the ocean. And the way the flooding is in the Midwest, I suppose you have a back door to the ocean in some of those areas there. Shavuot. Shavuot day is Saturday. And I, you know, stay up all night and study the Torah. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. So that comes up there. I uh, share my wine tonight. I've got a Grand Sud, S-U-D, Grand Sud, Cabernet. Cabernet, it said. Doesn't say Cabernet Sauvignon. Grand said Cabernet, it's 2016. Uh, it's one liter bottle. It's not a 750. It's a one liter bottle, which is, you know, I think that's probably one of the reasons why we picked it up because it was so strange that it was one liter. 
the bottle is all raised and embossed and everything. Very pretty bottle. Um, it says on the back, though, Grand Sud Cabernet. Fruity and pleasant, this wine is enhanced by flavors of stewed fruits, spices, and hints of menthol. Uh, red wine. Recommendations with red meats, game, and nurtured cheeses. Serving temperature between 60, uh, uh, serving temperature 60 to 64 degrees. Uh, it says one liter, 33% more than a 750 bottle. Yes, it is. And the government warning and everything on it. And it is uh, French, uh, bottled by Grand Sud. Grand Sud, probably the D's probably sound Grand Sud, parts of France. So, uh, I don't know. I've got some in the glass. I will pause for a second here while I taste it. Mm. And what kind of enclosure uh, does that have on it? That had a cork. Huh. Right? Yeah, that had a cork. And that was an excellent, excellent segue for you because I was going to talk about closures tonight and different ones. And I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah, you did. But you led me right into it. Well, very excellent. Excellent segue. Uh, yeah, I was I was going to talk about closures, uh, the pros and cons of different wine closures. And this one had a cork, actually not a cork cork. This had a one of those alternative corks, which I will talk about. Well, since you already opened up the door for me, I will go ahead and step in, and we'll I'll talk about corks right now. The let me uh, get into the slides here and give you all some information on corks and try to educate you a little bit, a little bit more. People are always saying, you know, does it have to be cork cork? No, it doesn't. Uh, Pinfold uh, wines are offering wines now. You probably don't see them a whole lot here in the United States, but there are. But in Australia, you can find pinfold wines that are costing over $100, and they are closed by screw cap. What? Um, the United States still hasn't grasped it. The Americans are still believe screw cap is low quality, but pinfold says, no, huh? this, is, this is screw cap, and it's good, and this wine is... This is a good wine, and what do we got? We got cheese. Wow! Char- cheddar. My my engineer even brought me some sharp cheddar cheese to go with this uh, Vermont white cheddar. Vermont white cheddar, she says, um, to go with my with my wine. So, periodically, I'm going to be stopping and chewing a little cheese and taking a sip of the the Grand Sioux. I believe it's Sioux. I don't think the D's French. That's one thing about French. You don't pronounce the consonants. So, wine closures. Uh, there's lots of them out there, lots of different types we're finding now, and lots of different containers and stuff. We've talked about wine closures in the past uh, because it's always a 
controversial subject uh, if you have a screw cap. Let's go through the different ones. I, uh, the corks. Uh, why do they use closure? Corks been around forever, it seems. Evidence is that corks was used back in the Greek and Roman times, ancient Greek and Roman times. Uh, they weren't that popular until the 18th century, and that's when they really became more widely used because that was about the time they came out with the first user-friendly corkscrew. But they have been traced back to ancient Roman and Greek times. Pros of a screw cap. They are derived from the bark of the corcus super oak tree, also known as the cork oak tree. Uh, they're evergreens, though cork is an evergreen, the majority of which grow in Portugal and Spain. And they are very, very protect, uh, protected, strictly protected there. Cork oaks uh, regenerate the outer layer of the bark, so it is a harvestable product. You can harvest it about, well, this says every decade. I've heard seven years, I've heard nine years, and, you know, so I, I guess, you know, it depends on your tree. But the lifespan of these trees are like up to 200 years, so... One tree can provide enough cork for literally thousands of bottles, and it's ecologically sound material, and it's not going to waste away in the landfill or determine of the ground or anything. So that's that's a good thing. Tradition, along with the renewable resource, there's something that's rather romantic about hearing the pop of the cork in a restaurant or anywhere else. The uh, the ritual of pulling it out and hearing it pop out of the bottle is something that everybody recognizes, it seems. It's the sound of a cork popping out of a wine bottle is one of those sounds that goes right there with a golf ball falling into the cup on the golf course. Even if you don't play golf, you... You're familiar with that sound, even if you don't drink wine, you're familiar with the pop of a cork. So that is part of the tradition. And the cellar worthiness of a cork. This is something that's debated for other closures, but the cork is rather elastic. It expands to fit into the bottleneck, and it seals it in and keeps oxygen out. And there's Tiny pores will let minuscule amounts of air to interact with the wine, which transforms the aroma and the flavor over time and all that and makes for your your age-worthy wine. This is what's so good about cork. It will age with the cork and allow it to age properly. You can change a cork uh, over a period of time. A cork will start to deteriorate a uh, long period of time. It will start to deteriorate. You can recork a bottle. And you see it doesn't affect it any. Just a little bit of air that's out and then pop it back in on it. It's not going to hurt it. The cons of having a cork in your bottle, though, is susceptible to cork tank. Uh, that's a, a big issue. Uh, the chemical compound 246-tricronosol, or TCA, as it's shortened to, or a cork wine, is probably the biggest bad thing about a cork. It's 
actually calls when chlorine comes into contact with certain fungi during the corpse processing. Uh, it's harmless, and the compound can transfer to the wine and cause aromas of wet cardboard or damp basement or wet dog. It's uh, referred to as cork paint, like I said, or cork. And studies have shown that uh, it can affect up to 10% of the wines under cork. I, that's high, I think. I, when I read this article, I go, 10%? I've never heard it that high. I've heard, you know, as high as 6%, but 10%. To me, it seems high, but, you know, may, I, maybe it's not. Uh, it is something that is being constantly addressed by cork people, uh, cork manufacturers. Uh, TCA in cork is down to 1% comparable to the percentage of screw cap sealed wines that suffer from oxidation. So, you know, you, you've got to trade off there. Uh, less other studies show that if uh, TCA affects around 3 to 7% under, uh, of wines under cork. So, there you go. I, I could say I've, I've heard, you know, three percent, five percent, seven or six percent. So most studies, I think, are right in that range. Ten percent, again, I think is up there a little bit. A variability. Uh, this is they're saying this is a con. Cork is a natural product, and each is slightly different. Uh, cork brands and their porousness vary. Uh, so the amount of air that interacts with the wine in the bottle will vary, too. And it's something that you really you don't know. There's no testing. There's no general way to say, okay, this is going to let this amount of micro bits of air into it, or this is going to, there's no way to know that. You just put it in the bottle and... That's why you get a lot of corks, a lot, not a lot of, but a lot of corks. You try to keep it within the same tree, the same run, the same batch, because you don't want variations. Now, if you had variations in your cork, you bought yourself a case of wine, you taste one, oh, this is good, it's going to age for 20 years for me, and you put it away, and after 10 years... You grab one, you go, oh, no, this this is this is ready now. And you pop open another one, and that one is ready. And you pop open the next one, and it's connected for another 10 years. It just So you try to keep it consistent, the consistency of the corks. Uh, and what I just said there, too, if you are aging wines, don't just grab wines, throw it in the cellar and say, okay, I'm going to age these. Taste one. See if it is age-worthy. Because a lot of times they might not be. You you may be told that oh this age for 15 years, and then you go to put it down for 15 years, and after 15 years you open it up, and you're greatly disappointed because it's past its prime. So that is something that you have to really stay on top of. Fragility. Cork is made from wood, and wood dries out and crumbles. And when you have it cellared, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, when you have it settled, cellared, it uh, kept on its side, keep the cork moist. But even with cellaring, corks can crumble. 
and they can fall apart. Now, I'm sure, I, I, I have to say, I'm sure everyone at one time or another, if you're buying wine that you've had setting around for a while or cellared for a while, you have popped your corkscrew in it and pull it out and it just falls apart on you, just crumbles as you're pulling it out. That's a problem with cork. It can and will do that. So uh, the fragility of a cork can create a problem. And cost. Corks can be expensive. Uh, it can cost up to three times that of uh, screw caps. And that's going to drive up the cost of wine. You can get corks. I used to say this in the class I taught when we were talking about corks and all that stuff. You can get corks that cost anywhere from $0.05 cents up to $0.50, $0.60 cents a cork. Uh, there is a big big price range on corks. Uh, if you're, you shop around, you buy a lot of them, you can keep the price down. But if you're doing a small batch or something uh, and you want corks, it can get expensive. And if you're using corks that have branding on it that names and stuff on the side of it that adds a little bit of cost to it and different things like that so price of corks can be a lot it's very very simple to add a cost to a bottle into your case just from uh, from the corks themselves they call the next category frankenstein corks uh, <laughs> They uh, said not all corks are cut from the same cloth. Meet natural corks' quirky cousins. And this is the different types of corks. These are the ones, and all of you have seen these. You just never paid much attention, more than likely, because they are Frankenstein corks. They're not not solid corks. The the collimated cork. This is made from medium grade natural cork. And the crevices are filled in with fine cork powder. It gives the cork a softer texture and a smoother exit out of the bottle. Uh, wines can age a few years under this collimated cork, but not really recommended. You, you don't see this, this cork a lot. It's, it's out there. It's uh, uh, just a cheaper brand that they fill it in. It, it starts to get a little bit expensive depending on where the cork is taken out of the bark, but you don't see a lot of this. Agglomerated cork. It is a particle board. My cork is the best way to describe it. Uh, it's, uh, it's bound together with uh, glue or pressure or something. You've uh, they can be used with wines destined to be consumed young. They're not made to be aged. They tend to break down easy. The materials break down in it. Uh, cork producer Amarin suggests wine sealed with these composite closures be consumed within six months of bottling. Uh, though they, there are some options that you can age them longer, but not a good idea. They are pressed. Corks. What you do is you take cork pieces that are cheaper instead of just actually p 
punching the cork out of the cork oak. You have the pieces and stuff like that, and you form it into a cork shape and glue it together or press it together so it stays together and all that. Uh, Algamated. Uh, Algamated corks. They are... Uh, you, you find them all over the place. Actually, I used to use them. Uh, they serve their purpose very well for me because I tell people that these wines aren't made to be aged. These wines are made to be drank. You drink them. And so therefore the cork didn't need to be a long-term alternative. It was one that needs to be consumed reasonably soon. Multi-piece corks. Now, these you see also, too. You'll see corks that are pressed together in the middle, and they have solid corks on either end of it. This is very common on that. Uh, You'll you'll see those. You pop it out and look at your cork, and you'll see if it's uh, real cork or agglomerated or... Uh, multi-piece. Uh, this is, again, you'll see the pieces of cork at the end and then pressed in the middle. And then it's glued together. Two or more pieces all glued together. A good example of this is champagne corks. Pop open a bottle of champagne and you, the bottom part of the cork will expand like crazy. And it's the reason because it's not part of the top. Uh, there's disc of natural cork at the ends of the algorithm. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, for wine closures, and it, it increases the durability. When I just described you with a piece that increases durability. And it's often made from scraps. Like I say, both of these are made from scraps. And they're less expensive, and they work very well. They give you the pop and all that, but they are not really made to be aged. They're the ones that you're going to be drinking within six months to a year, which most wines are anyway. What was I read a statistic somewhere that said something like 90% of all wines purchased are consumed within the first 48 hours? Some, some ridiculous statistic like that that people... If you go out and buy wine, you don't put it away. You drink it, and that most people do. So those are the what they call Frankenstein corks. Screw cap. Oh boy, this is the controversy here. Uh, <laughs> after centuries of unrivaled wine stopper bliss, the unassuming aluminum cap came along and screwed up everything for the cork. And Australians are to blame for this. In 1964, Peter Wall, who was a former director of South Australian winery Ulumba, became fed up with the number of tainted corks in circulation. Again, you know, we're looking at 3 to 7% on average, which when you think 3 to 7% is not much, but that's a chunk there. You know, if you really think about it, if you were to win the mega lottery that's going around the country for this this weekend, I think is up to what, $534 million. You know, 3 to 7% of that's a fair amount. And that's not a bad comparison because the number of wines that are corked 
very easy to run into those type of astronomical numbers. So he got fed up with it, and he commissioned a French company to develop an alternative closure, an aluminum cap called the Stelvin, S-T-E-L-V-I, and Stelvin was born, although it wasn't patented commercially, uh, used commercially until the 70s. He started this in 64, but it wasn't until 79. Now, Stelvin closure, if you look for a Stelvin closure, you'll, you can see it on the bottle. A lot of times they won't tell you a screw cap. They'll say uh, a Stelvin closure, and you know you don't pay much attention. That simply means it's a screw cap. It means it's aluminum. I didn't know the French. I, I didn't know the French were the first to make this. They commissioned the French until I read this article. I've been talking about screw caps for a long time. But I never realized that it was the French that actually designed it. So that's an interesting little note there. Forty plus years later, screw caps are the closure of choice for the majority of Australian Australian and New Zealand producers. And it's through all styles of price points and all styles of wine and all types of wine and everything. They basically have embraced the screw cap down under. Uh, it consists of aluminum cap lined with plastic, which integrates a metal skirt that hugs the top of the bottleneck, just like a traditional stopper's foil. And there's machines that pop it on just like there's machines that pop on corks. It's that easy. The pros of a screw cap. Consistency. TCA, that affects so many wine natural corks is non-existent under a screw cap. Now, I want to put a caveat on this. I read somewhere that TCA has shown up in some screw caps that have been aged. I, I, and I can't cite the source or anything right now. I just read it, and I went, wow, and I was astonished, and I just continued to read the article. But uh, it stuck with me that why would it happen? But for some reason, they were detecting it. Also, screw caps, uh, there's less oxygen interaction with wines in comparison to corks. So because of that, theoretically, the amount of sulfur dioxide, or SO2, used as an antioxidant before bottling can be cut down. But, and this is something else I have heard, and I've heard this on a couple of different occasions. I actually had somebody tell me this who works in a cork business and said that they have found that as a screw cap ages, they are getting increased amounts of SO2, which seems odd, but they said it actually has been happening. The SO2 has been increasing. So I don't know. I, I haven't read any papers on that, and there are lots of papers on these things. I haven't seen any papers on that, but they're saying that the SO2 has increased on that. So, you know, good and bad. They're saying that's the pros, but you have a little bit of con on it, too. Screw cap. Longevity is a pro, they're saying. Yeah, because wines under screw cap reside in a relatively oxygen-free atmosphere, 
they are believed to live longer. Mm. Though long-term studies have shown positive results, it's still controversial. They have done, and I think I mentioned Pinfold at the beginning of this, Pinfold has done some long-term aging of wines. There's another one, too. It's another Australian uh, Pinfold. Uh, the one with the kangaroo on the front. Oh, what is that? I can't think of it. Uh, hmm. They have done long-term studies, too, and they have aged wines for 20 years under screw cap, and they said that they're great. They turn out fine. And they balance. They do everything they're supposed to be doing uh, for an aged wine. Long-term studies have shown some results, but it's still, like I say, controversial. Some argue that the limited oxygen contact on a screw cap doesn't age well because of that. And uh, others, uh, for example, Jeffrey Grosset, uh, who is the owner of Grosset Wines in South Australia's Clara Valley, said that the screw cap enclosed wines age beautifully. They just do so more slowly. So if you grab a wine under screw cap that will age for 20 years, the same one under cork might only age for 15 or even less. So again, taste your wine for you to try to age them, screw cap or not. But some of the studies I've heard are saying that the screw cap does age really, really well. Another pro, affordability. Screw caps can vary in price depending on the quality, but generally they are cheaper than cork. Again, you can get screw caps that are anywhere from, you know, six cents a piece on up from there. The screw caps, putting it on a bottle, though, if you have the machine to do it, that's expensive. The new great big machines, uh, the model blocks they call them, which is there's maybe six companies in the world that make the model block, which you can feed a bottle in and it cleans it and it feeds it into the bottling and it fills it full of wine to the level it's supposed to be filled and it sends it around to the next step and the next step corks it and the next step puts a capsule on it and. Uh, next step, put the label on it and it spits it out the end. You can just pick it up and throw it in your box. Well, the section where it puts the cork in it, you can pop that whole section out, set it down, and pop a whole section in that puts the screw cap on it. And I, it's great. It's wonderful. I don't know how it works. I've never seen one work with a screw cap. I mean, the once with the corks, you have to keep filling the corks, and it just rumbles them in and pops them in. But the screw cap, I'm not sure how that works. I've never seen it. Maybe if I look up monoblock, and there might be a demonstration. It seems like you can find a demonstration for just about everything on the Internet now. But uh, it's reasonably affordable and easy to open. Screw caps, you just twist it right off. You don't have to have any gadgets. You don't have to have any machines. You don't have to have any muscle to pull it out. You can leave the uh, pair of pliers and the drywall screw in the drawers. You can pop it open yourself, and that's one of the convenience of it. 
taking it out with you somewhere. You don't have to worry about, does anyone have a corkscrew? With screw caps, non-issue. The negatives, though, the cons of a screw cap, to begin with, the environmental impact. They're made from aluminum. And we all know about aluminum, uh, which is uh, often produced from a strip mine uh, a strip mined ore called bauxite, and processing them can be a dirty process and impacts the air and the water and generating about 70 million tons of waste annually. Not with corks. Aluminum is non-biodegradable, and it can be recycled, though. It is suspected that, though, most screw caps, caps end up in the trash. And it's very difficult to get them all off the bottle. And that's probably why. Uh, there are waste management companies that have all their different guidelines on whether you can uh, recycle screw caps or not. You just you need to check with your local one. One of the problems is the plastic liners inside the screw cap can make it impossible to recycle. You have to pop out that little plastic thing at the top of the cork if you're going to recycle it as aluminum. So that is something that you need to be aware of. Uh, most of the liners are made from uh, uh, PVDC, which is, uh, I'm going to kill this, polyvinylidene chloride. It's a plastic that's unsustainable and toxic when burned. So, ew. the California Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment considers it a possible health risk. So, that's another bad. It's been banned or restricted in a number of countries in Western Europe. And Amcor, the company that makes Stelvin screw caps, recently released a PVDC free range targeting countries like Germany, which have restrictions on the material. Uh, so they've got a new top on a new plastic top on it that is uh, PVDC free. And uh, it's not so toxic, but that's one of the Really, really bad things about screw cap. All those, those tops on them are still allowed in the United States. Check with your local, if you recycle, check with your local waste management and see if they do recycle them because quite a few of them don't actually. So that's the, the big bad. But there are a couple of others here. They're also prone to reduction. Uh, the opposite of an oxidized wine is a reductive wine. Now, oxidized when air's gotten into it and it, you know, does bad things. Uh, or if a wine has minimal contact with oxygen during the production process, it is called uh, reduction redu reductive. This can happen when a wine's sulfur dioxide levels are too high and is characterized by a rotten egg, um, oniony aromas. The topic of reduction in screw-capped wines can be very divisive. 
And this is one of the things. This is probably when I, you know, people say that the screw cap increases the SO2 level. This is probably what they're getting. They're probably getting reductive wine as opposed to just increasing the SO2. Uh, Generally, it's agreed that the plastic line seal itself doesn't cause these undesirable traits. The seal can prevent additives like sulfur from being absorbed in the wine the way a more porous cork would, which increases the effects of a little bit in there. So that could explain the sulfide smell and increase in taste in the rotten egg that you that you get. So that's a possibility with a screw cap. And the question on ageability. I've been on this already a couple of times, but still, screw cap aging has people on both sides. Corks say wine's going to age, it's great and it's wonderful. Oxygen comes in, facilitates the aging, natural porous material. It's essential to the aging of Cellar-worthy wines, it said. I mean, you have to have that cork in there so that it ages properly. There's a little bit of oxygen in. Many, many, many years ago, I heard that corks do let a little bit of oxygen in the wine. It, it, it helps the aging. I mentioned this in front of two very knowledgeable winemakers once, and they both corrected me and said it wasn't true. And I looked at them like, What? And they go, no, that's not true. Well, I have to tell both of them, yeah, it is. I, I thought it was, and I'm seeing it more and more. I never called them on it. I never said anything, but it's true. Screw cap fans think otherwise, that neither side has proved that enclosures are seller-worthy or not seller-worthy. It's still an open topic is still being debated it's still out there going on and on uh amcor has created multiple liners one that is uh more has a higher permeability but it costs more and there's also other variations on the liner with uh four different levels that they call it oxygen transmission rates are OTRs. Uh, so it is it is the debate. It is the debate that continues to question the, the screw cap over everything else. Synthetic corks. That's what this was here that I popped out of this wine tonight. Synthetic corks can be made either from petroleum-based plastic or plant-based materials. All right, either one. Plastic corks are generally made from polyethylene, a malleable material that is melted down and turned into foam that imitates the porousness of natural cork. Plant-based stoppers are made about the same way, but they use a biopolyethylene, a bio-based plastic made from uh, ethylene, which is a byproduct of processing renewable raw materials like sugarcane. Both of them work. Uh, You've you've pulled out the foam corks before, I know. You probably have pulled out the, uh, uh, the 
plant-based stoppers too and just not really paying much attention because they are both pretty much the same. The pros, consistency. Synthetic corks are not prone to TCA and they provide a predictable amount of oxygen transfer. And they're tight, immovable seal. They're very good about that. They're very easy to extract durability. There's another pro. Uh, they're not made from wood. Synthetic corks don't degrade or dry out, so there's no need to store bottles on their size to keep the cork damp. Synthetic corks also won't break apart, so there's no risk of the crumbs the fish out of your wine or the little pieces of cork. And they are affordable. Synthetic corks can be up to three times cheaper than natural cork. And they can also be cheaper than screw caps. As a side note here, I tried to use synthetic corks a few years ago. And I do all my I, I did all my corking by hand. Um, I was uh, when I was working with Sister Army in South Florida, they closed down. They we had a big machine that did the corking there. And we tried to do it on the big machine, but the pressure of the machine was not. What happened was the synthetic cork was so soft that it wasn't pushing it down into the bottle properly. It was like a quarter of an inch up above it. So we went back to the uh, amalgamated corks or the press corks. When that closed down, I was corking everything by hand. And I thought, well, let me try it again. Let me see if those synthetics can work here. It doesn't. I had such a bottle uh, battle with those bottles. The synthetic corks, I would put the cork into the corking machine, the hand corking machine. I'd pull the lever down and the cork would go like halfway into the bottle and the other half would be sticking up and the, the little hole that punched it down in there punched a hole a quarter of an inch or so down into the cork. It was a nightmare. I was pulling corks out and throwing away. Every once in a while I would pop in a couple good ones and I'd be thrilled. I tried putting a piece of cork on top of the cork so that it had something solid to do it. And it was solid, but the problem was it was solid enough that it was pushing the piece of cork down into the bottle also. So I had to fish that out instead of having that sound on top. I just, synthetics did not work for me at all. And any of the things I tried to use it on, it was just too soft is what the problem was. So, but they are affordable. They're cheaper than uh, the others, but I just couldn't use it. The cons of synthetic, the impact on the environment made from plastics and they're not sustainable or biodegradable. They can be recycled if you can find someone who recycles them. The producers have imprinted the Chasing Arrow logo on their product and policies the recycling companies use. But, you know, it's, it's not always able to recycle them. Plant-based stoppers are a renewable resource and they have a lower carbon footprint, but cost more and are still in limited use. So hard to open and resell. Many wine lovers 
grown at the site of plastic-based synthetic corks because they are hard to open. If you've ever gotten one to try to open it, sometimes they can be almost impossible to pull out of the bottle. I mean, really impossible. It seems like they glue themselves to the side of the bottle, and they are just a bear to pop out of there. And a chemical odor. Some wine professionals claim they detect a chemical odor in wines from oil-based plastic corks, especially if it's been in there for a while. Uh, recent years, these reports of the aromas have fallen less and less, and it doesn't affect the plant base, but the potential is still there and is still a concern. Uh, the Older, I have had that problem with some I open, especially after struggling to get the thing open. And once you get the thing open, you pour over the wine, you go, ooh, that's just, I, I thought the wine was bad. But uh, the wine tasted fine. It was just the odor from the cork that was affecting the odor of the, of the wine itself. All right. Other types of wine closures. Is those are the ones I've got there, but we're starting to see more now. We're starting to see different ones out there. We're starting to see ones that people are, uh, you've heard them. You may have even found them and used them or, or open bottles say, oh, what's this? There are a variety of them. One of them, the Zork, Z-O-R-K, the Zork. I've seen the Zork out there. They've talked about the Zork. Uh, created in 2010 by an Australian company, this closure with an inner foil that allows for some oxygen transfer. Okay, it has a plastic cork-like stopper that pops when removed, just like a real cork. And that's one of the distinct things about the Zork. It just you're going, what is this? And you go, pop, and you're going, ooh. The Zork's most distinctive feature is the outer strip of plastic that coils around the top of the bottle and peels off. You know, something like a a gallon of milk. You know, you have that little plastic zipper on the top of a gallon of milk. The Zork sparkling enclosure allows bubbly bottles to be resealed. So that's something that you don't find in natural cork or any others. The Zork will... But you find a zork on a a sparkling wine of any type, and you don't finish it, which yeah, you know, there's always that don't finish it. But if you don't, the zork can pop back into it. Next one, Vinosil, V-I-N-O-S-E-A-L, Vinosil. It's also known as Vinolock, V-I-N-O-L-O-K. It's an expensive glass stopper. This was developed by Alcoa Corporation, but it was handed over to Czech glass producer Precosia. It was released in the European market in 2003. Uh, The glass is ringed with plastic to create the tight seal. I've never seen one. I've heard about it, I've read about it, but I've never seen the the glass seals. I think I might have mentioned it once. once or twice on the program in the past. Next one, the Helix, H-E-L-I-X. Uh, it's a twist-off cork that requires no corkscrew. 
It was created in 2016 by the largest Portuguese cork manufacturer, Amarim. Amarim's enormous, by the way. And the world's largest glass bottle manufacturer, Owens, Illinois. It was a joint effort between the two. I've seen the Helix. I've, I've opened a couple of bottles with Helix. It's nice. It's, it opens very easily. It's uh, a good way to do it. Um, and you can you know, pop it back in and stuff like that very easily, too. Crown cap. This is the one you see on beer bottles. Well, the closer is used traditionally for sparkling wines to seal the uh, bubbles before disgorging. And uh, the crown cap is ability to keep the pressure in the bottle. And then they're later resealed with a cork and the wire cage and the foil and all that other stuff. But uh, natural sparkling wine producers that don't disgorge choose to release their sparklers and all their crown cap glory. Even some still wines, and especially those in the natural camp, are starting to use and flaunt the crown cap seal. So I haven't seen a wine closed by crown cap yet. I'm sure they will be popping up here and there, but when I go out and look through the wine sections and stuff, I do keep an eye on it and see if it's crown cap. I, I, I have to say that I have seen them. They're little small bottles, the little little, uh, little four packs of the uh, 187 milliliter. I've seen those with the crown cap on it before. I can't remember what manufacturer, but I have seen those. So I guess I have seen them. I've never seen a 750 mil with a crown cap. It's uh, It would be odd, to say the least. But there are the different types of corks. That's uh, with, with the way the industry is going, we're finding more and more of these closures out there that are unique. Uh, to the wine, so uh, you uh, you have uh, all sorts of different types. As you see them, then uh, you can embrace them. Something else I wanted to mention: a couple other things I wanted to mention. We even go to eight o'clock. I get a couple more things to mention. Uh, the high-end rosé, rosé. Every uh, in fact, at the winery. I used to have people ask me, in all honesty, is rosé really a wine? Yeah, it's a wine. It's it's made like a wine. It's from the grape. They pull the skin off. They keep it pink. It is a wine. A white Zimondel, a rosé, all those same styles. This I used to tell people, there's a lot of rosés that are becoming expensive. They're high in. And this article here... Uh, goes in and talks to some of the manufacturers of high-end rosés. And this one particular one in France uh, gets only three tons per hectare on average uh, for his, well, grape season, Grenache. 
and he's cut it down. He used it for high-end rosé. And he says the approach for the rosé is the same approach for all the wines, so they think the price that they charge is very fair. Uh, a rosé wine, they're charging 25 to $30. Uh, some rosés, like uh, uh, Domaine Tempier Bundell, is charging up to $50 for rosé. Uh, Lopez de Heredio Rosada is another one that's close to $50 in the rosés. And they're crafted the same way and they're made the same way and they are uh, lovingly watched and cared for just like any high-end red or white. And they are just as good as premium wines and you're paying a premium price for them. Uh, Some of them are not there yet on the price, but uh, some of them are up $50. Uh, if you uh, go to New York City and get yourself a rosé, some of these Italian rosés at some of the upscale restaurants, you can end up paying $100 or more for a rosé. It's going to have quality. It's going to be there, but everybody has this white Zimadol mindset on rosés and it's hard for them to justify that but they are good wines so just if you start seeing prices on rosés jump up and uh, the blush wines and stuff like that then it's not out of question they're not trying to gouge you it is some good quality wines that are well worth the price so uh uh, let's see. There's another thing I wanted to... Oh, here it is. This, I wanted to tell you, we'll end with this tonight, too. I saw this, and I went, oh, come on now. We've always talked about how good wine is for us and how it cures this and cures that and helps with this and helps with that. But... A new British study, and it always seems the British come out with these studies. The study was published uh, a little over a month ago. And, come on. My computer decided to slow way down. Okay, there we go. States, drinking a bottle of wine per week may be like smoking five to ten cigarettes in the same time period in terms of cancer risk. This is from a new study in the United Kingdom. This was published in the journal BMC Public Health, and it is the first such study that gives a cigarette equivalent to alcohol with regards to cancer risk. They found that the increase in cancer risk tied to drinking one bottle of wine per week is equivalent to five to ten cigarettes in that same week. Uh, for both uh, men and women, well, five for, per week for men and ten per week for women on the cancer risk. Uh, the goal is to better convey the cancer risks that are tied to moderate alcohol consumption, they're saying. The survey is from the American Society of, uh, oh, for example, there was a survey in 2017 
from the American Society of Clinical Oncology found that 70% of Americans didn't know that drinking alcohol is a risk for cancer. And so they're saying that uh, comparing it to cigarettes, this British study says that it is it is uh, comparable to smoking cigarettes. The uh, estimated that among non-smokers, drinking one bottle of wine per week is tied to 1.0% increase in lifetime cancer risk for men and 1.4% increase lifetime for women. In other words, for 1,000 men and 1,000 women, if we drink one bottle of wine per week, about 10 extra men and 14 extra women will develop cancer at some point in their life. So, until the study comes out again uh, in a couple of months. And then until the next study comes out and says, oh, well, that's right. not right. This is the, this yeah. is what it, you know, so. Perfectly healthy for you. So, yes. yeah, I know. Um, oh, hold on. I got my corks down now, finally. I think that works. Yep. Oh, the, there you um, go. I finally got it. Um, <laughs> the wine with the uh, kangaroo on it, was it yellowtail or neck? Yellowtail, yeah. Yellowtail. Yellowtail. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I know that one. I yeah. know that one. I don't know why. I just had a blank. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. But yeah, pinful and yellowtail. But two big ones, and they only use screw caps. And yellowtail's been one of them that's been doing a lot of studies on the screw cap. Uh, mm. I see more studies from yellowtail than I do from pinfolds. Although pinfolds has some high end wines they've been aging and stuff. So, you know, but, uh, well, lots of, lots of, oh. 13. I, yeah. Okay. All right. Cancer. I had a, an article. In fact, if I can find it quickly here, I will. Uh, let's see. It's not there. Different wine closures. Uh, oh, here we go. Let me go through this quickly for you here. This is can canned wines to stock for the summer of 2019. We talked about all sorts of closures here. Well, here's a closure, the pop-top. All right? That's a closure that uh, wasn't mentioned, but the 10 canned wines that you should stock. This article states that the Vinny New York Bubbly Rosé non vinches from the Finger Lakes in New York is uh, $6.60 for a 250-milliliter can. Uh, 250 milliliters, one third of the bottle of a standard bottle. So, and you're, it's uh, about eighteen dollars. Well, more than that, about twenty dollars, not quite twenty dollars for a liter or for a 750 milliliter. But uh, Vinny New York Bubbly Rosé from New York. Uh, recommendation. National Bridge Lane Sauvignon Blanc 2018 from Long Island, New York. This is $34 for four pack of 375 milliliter cans. The next one they recommend is a Lubanzi Shannon Blanc 2018 from Swartland, South Africa. This is $30 for a four pack of 375 milliliter cans. They're saying it's a fresh green apple nose and a little bit sweeter on the palate. Next one, Onward 
Okay, not Matoda Martinotti. Jesus. 2017 from uh, Susan Valley, California. This is $12 for one 375 milliliter can. So that's that's getting a little bit expensive there. Um, it's uh, still tanks, uh, traditional wine, silver. You know, doesn't say anything interesting about it. Next one. Una Lou Rosé, 2018, from Sonoma, California. It's $40 for a quart pack of 375 milliliter cans. These people are charging a lot of money for their canned wines. You know, it just seems to, to me, anyway. Old Westminster Carbonic from Westminster, Maryland. Huh, one from Maryland. It's $10 for a 375 milliliter can. And Cabernet Franc is what it is, which might be good. Number seven on their list of the 10 you should have for the summer is Santa Julia Chardonnay 2018 from Mendoza, Argentina. This is $6 for a 375 milliliter can. I don't know if you can buy these separately. Uh, It might be a four-pack price. I, I don't know. I'm starting to think that maybe it might be. Number eight, Nomadica Red Blend Edition 2, 2017 Vintage, Central Coast, California, $168 for a 24-pack of 250-milliliter cans. So this one, you I guess you have to buy the 24-pack. It is 100% Syrah. And so uh, this is... Uh, Sonoma, let's see, is any other information? No, 100% Syrah, and uh, I guess you can only buy a 24-pack, $168 plus shipping, I'm sure. Number nine, Ramona Lemon Wine Spritz, non-vintage. This is from Sicily, Italy, $5.50 for a 250 milliliter can. And uh, it is organic lemon wine spritz. It's made from the Zabibo grape, which is sourced from Sicily. And then number 10 on the wines in a can you should have for this summer, they suggest Tiamo Organic Rosé Non-Vinci's from Abruzzo, Italy. This is $5 for a 375 milliliter can. And this is made from organic Montepulciano grapes grown in Abruzzo, Italy. So there are your summer canned wine suggestions for the beach or for whatever. Uh, the uh, This is put together by a group of wine professionals. And I can give you all their names and everything if you want, but I'm sure you're probably really not interested in what their names are because you won't recognize any of them anyway. So, but they do write for things like wine enthusiasts and in different wine magazines and stuff. So, so there you go. Uh, hmm. One canned wine for the summer of 2019, uh, along with all the other closures. We now have canned wine. Oh, before we close, too, uh, Henry River. Uh, oh, I was going to tell you this at the beginning. You you segued me right into the my subject of course. <laughs> Missed this. Uh, okay. Henry River is 
having their having their summer specials all summer long. Uh, Pack the porch wine and music events on Sundays. They have uh, uh, just a bunch of different stuff going on all summer long. Henry River is located in Newberry, South Carolina, uh, 1650 Dusty Road, Newberry, South Carolina. So uh want to get a hold of them, it is Henry, E-N-O-R-E-E, rivervineyards.com. So you can get a hold of them there. And Delmonico Winery, they also have stuff going on. Uh, they have summer concerts. They have uh, uh, Soulfish and Sangria, wine and cheese pairings, bunch of different stuff there. And their address is, well, you can get a hold of Shelly at DelmonicoWinery.com if you have any further questions or anything about it. And she will be more than happy to to fill you in on what's happening at Delmonico Winery. I didn't tell you where Delmonico Winery was, did I? Uh, let's click on that and see if we can't find where Delmonico Winery is. Uh, no, I don't know. I'm not going to be able to find out because my computer's not cooperating with me. Get a hold of Shelly. S-H-E-L-L-E-Y at DemonicoWinery.com Baxter, Tennessee There you go, okay Tennessee, I I knew it was somewhere around I couldn't couldn't remember uh, where and let's see, we've got a couple other wineries here I want to mention and if you have a winery or you know someone who does I'll be more than happy to throw their name out here just have them email me regularly. Castle Ridge Winery, they are in Iowa, uh, southeastern Iowa. You can contact them, info at tasselridge.com. Get on their email address that way. Uh, they are located in southeastern Iowa, and uh, they're at uh, 16, 8, 1681 220th Street in Leighton, Leighton Iowa. Uh, they have... Uh, uh, things going on continuously this summer, almost every day, uh, something. Every Thursday, every Friday, every Saturday, uh, they have events, they have cellar activities, they have in the vineyard stuff going on. Uh, just a, a whole bunch of things happening there. So get a hold of them if you're in southern Iowa. Uh, it's only about an hour, I guess, from Des Moines. I don't think it's any much further than that, about an hour southeast of Des Moines, so you can uh, check them out. And then we have, come on computer, help me, Uh, Amazing Grace Vineyard, and Amazing Grace Vineyard has, uh, Let's see, Amazing Grace Vineyard is located in uh, 9839 Route 9 in Chazzy, New York. Uh, you can go to Amazing Grace Vineyard and Winery, or just, yeah, AmazingGraceWinery.com. And they have weekend specials. They have meals that uh, uh, 
$17. You're not paying that $75 that someone run the specials on. Uh, they have free appetizers. If you click, you can get the coupon online. And uh, there's just all sorts of stuff going on there, too. Summertime, these ones, you, you know, pick it up, and they start doing all sorts of things, especially these ones up north, because in the wintertime, a lot of times they're closed down, and they don't do anything. So the summertime is when they have all sorts of events going on. So you can check that out there. And uh, let's see, I had another one from, well, obviously our, our local one that we always get. They're always sending me emails uh, what's going on there, too. What happened? I lost something here, and I'm trying to find it again. Uh-huh. Ooh. Okay, here we go. Uh, no, I guess I don't have it. But lots of stuff going on in all the wineries. Check your local wineries. If you don't, you know, if you're not traveling to any of these, check your local wineries. There's always things happening at a winery, especially in the summer. They uh, usually have great weather, usually have uh, entertainment come in, or they have uh, all sorts of different things going on for you. So support your local wineries, and uh, I'm sure they will not disappoint. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay, it is uh, eight, about 8.17, and we can uh, close the show for this evening for uh, June the 6th, and we'll be, we will be back next Thursday, June the 13th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Blog Talk Radio. If you have any oh, uh, suggestions, comments, or questions. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Where we get it? Yes. If you're going to be tuning in to Mike's radio show, you can't do it after the program tonight because he's not on tonight. He's on this morning. In the morning. So you're going to have to adjust your time for his radio show. I have to get up with the roosters now and uh, tune into the show. Thank you. Tune into the show. I'm not going to be able to just. Listen all about wine and fickle. And say, okay, I'll listen to Mike now for a couple hours. No, you can't yeah, do that yeah. anymore. Yeah, that show okay. shows on very very early in the mornings. Um, but it's working out pretty good. So uh, it's it? surprising how many people. Yeah, there's people in Europe. It's it's their lunchtime, oh. and uh, oh. you know, I'm getting a, a lot of a lot of them over there. And then the breakfast crowd here, and uh, yeah, it's not not uh, bad at all. I, I'm sure, I'm shocked. It's like you know, the evening time was one thing, and then you thought, oh man, seven a.m. Who's going to be up? Well, it's worldwide, you know. It's <laughs> yeah. So you know, you just you know, yeah. how about it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, get them, get them all over there. Um, let's see. So uh, thank you, and uh, join us uh, next Thursday, the 13th of June at 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Blog Talk Radio, or of course you can listen to it on the archives. It always works as well. You can take us with you that way. And uh, it is the show is portable, so um, yeah, we do appreciate the, those who are not able to listen live. But uh, oh, as I was saying, if you have any questions, comments, or anything you want to hear about on a future show regarding wine and the industry, uh, you can always email uh, allaboutwine101 at gmail 
com. Very, very easy to do. Or go to our website. There's a contact form there. It's allaboutwinebtr.com. Do that, and uh, Ron is, is up 24 hours to take your emails. Yeah, as soon as it comes in, I, I just kind of go, oh, and then I, I take care of it. <laughs> yeah. Special notification, <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Got to get up. That's right. <laughs> Bing! That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we all know I do that. <laughs> Enjoying his retirement, <laughs> getting up at yeah. 3 o'clock in the morning to answer you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Who'd, have, who'd have thought it was going to be like that? Um, who would have thought it was going to be We'll see you all. Thanks again. Uh, be safe, and uh, we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. See you next week. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.